I think a lot of us are excited about Christmas. A lot of people get really into the spirit. Uh, I think Christmas also has a tendency to bring up a lot of really difficult emotions and memories. So I want to tell you guys about the worst Christmas I ever had. Uh, it was uh, way, way back in the day because I'm really, really old, right? And it was way back. And for Christmas, my parents got me this Game Boy Color. Did anybody have a Game Boy Color? Some of you, the cool ones in the room, or the cool one in the room, it looks like, had a Game Boy Color. And the thing that made the Game Boy Color so special is it wasn't just a Game Boy, it was in color. And it's in the name. It's a beautiful thing. So I got this for Christmas. I must have been in first or second grade. And I had a Wario World 3 on it, and I was ready for action. So my parents let me play my Game Boy on the bus to and from school. So when January came along, we went back to school after Christmas. All my friends are talking, and we're all showing off our gifts to one another. And people got, like, Razor scooters. People got uh, those, like, skip things where you put it on your ankle and skip it around and have to jump over it. I hated them. I thought they were stupid. But other people loved them. Maybe you had one of those. And a few people had, like, Game Boys. And there was this one kid in my class. uh, I don't know his name. We're going to call him Bruno because I don't want to talk about him. And this kid was like, hey, I have a gift. My parents wouldn't even let me bring it to school, though, because they're, they're that valuable. And I was like, well, what are they? What did you have? What did you get? And he goes on to tell me, he goes, they're really, really special. They're, they're called moon shoes. Did anybody in here have moon shoes? If you don't know what they are, there's a picture up on the screen. And last service, somebody heard the story and went home and got some for me to bring. And I said, I won't wear them because I don't want the same mistake to happen again. But he was like, I got these moon shoes. And if you aren't familiar with these, you lace them onto your feet and you... It's in the name. You can jump to the moon. They make you jump extremely high. Gravity has no effect on you anymore. And I thought that was the coolest thing. So I said, you know what? I have to have them. They have to be mine. And so what do I do? I say, I'll give you this Game Boy Color if you give me the moon shoes. My parents have never heard that. They've asked me for years what happened to it. This is what happened. And, and I said, fine. Like, that's an easy trade. You can have this little device. I'll be on the moon while you're doing that. And so I, we trade the next day at school. I give him the Game Boy Color. He gives me these moon shoes. I get home. I, I go upstairs to my room and I get on my bed. I have them on and I jump off the bed onto the floor expecting to go straight through the roof. And I, they just break. Every, they're just shattered. They destroy like all the elastic pieces pop. And that I wish there was more to the story, but there's not like that's it. And it was the worst Christmas experience ever. I gave away something so valuable for some trash. So I'm happy to have these. To the person who gave these to me, these are not trash. I'm sure these ones will work and get you to the moon. But when, when Christmas comes around, some of us are really excited. Some of us, like myself, we have some really hard memories we have to cope with and come to terms with. But the reality is that during this season, what we all have is an opportunity for something greater. Uh, when it's Christmas time, we all kind of have this vibe, I guess, is the Gen Z word I can use for that. We kind of get this vibe. We know what, what is happening around Christmas time. You drive through Spring Hill, you see the snowflakes on the poles, you see the lights decorated, you see uh, all the different light shows around, you hear all the music, all the specials, all the stores, everything is Christmas. And it looks exactly like it did last year, and yet something seems special and new about it as it prepares around us this year. But really, we just have a lot of expectations, We know what we're going to get in this season because we've gotten it many, many times before in Christmases of the past. But today as we kick off our Christmas series, we're calling Present, 
I want to challenge us to fight the temptation to tune out over the next few weeks. I don't want us to tune out because we feel like, well, we've done this whole Christmas thing before. This Christmas, this month, I want to challenge all of us, myself included, to shift our perspective towards God's ultimate desire for us. Because I believe that Jesus is the reason that we gather, is the reason we worship all year long. If you want to find the perfect meaning of Christmas, there's a lot of Hallmark movies that can help you out and help you figure that out. But we want to go a little bit deeper and say why not just is Christmas important, why not just is this season what matters, but the reality that we want to go nearer to this morning is what is God's ultimate desire for us? I've asked that question to some students. I've asked that question to some parents and adults over the years. Like, what do you think God's desire is for us? And the most common answer I've gotten is that God wants us to follow Jesus. God wants us to put our faith in Jesus. And I think that that's true. I know that's true. As we look at the season, as we look to how everything around us points towards Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection, everything points to that. But the question wasn't, what's the thing we're supposed to do now? The question is, what is God's ultimate desire for us? While I believe that following Jesus is very important, I don't believe that that was God's original desire for his creation. The truth is, Jesus dying and coming to earth and going to the cross to be resurrected, that wasn't necessarily God's original design and plan. Instead, what Jesus and the cross is, is God's plan to get us back to what he originally desired for us. Jesus is God's way back to what he desired the world to be because God's desire is to be with us. Because church, he loves us very, very much. He loves his creation so very much. In all things, before Jesus and after Jesus, God's ultimate desire is to be in community with his creation. He wants to be present with us so that we can be present with him. So over the next few weeks, what we're going to do here at Wellspring is we're going to be looking at the different ways God has revealed himself to us, the different ways that God has become present with us in our world and in our lives. But more than that, we're going to establish not just what God has done to be present with us, but what our role is as followers of God in the midst of all seasons, not just this one. The truth is there's a lot to learn about God in this season and all seasons, but I think especially around Christmas time, there's a whole lot to learn about ourselves. God has done his part. Hear that this morning. God has done his part. He has played his role. He has done everything that he has said he would do to bring us into community with him. God has made every effort, those efforts we're going to look at over the next few weeks. So now we need to look at not just the efforts God has made, but what are we going to do to be present with him? What are we called to do in response to that? So each week we're going to look at a different way that God has presented himself to us and we're going to focus in on those things. And there are arguably many, many ways that God has revealed himself to us and continues to reveal himself to us. We're just going to talk about four that I believe are extremely common. Today we're going to talk about how he reveals himself to us through his creation and more importantly what his creation points and leads us to. We're going to talk about what God reveals within us and how he reveals himself from within us and works in our hearts and in our souls. We're going to look at um, the church and God's purpose for the church and how the church is a representation of God's mission on earth, his vision, his design for us to be present with God and the church's role in that. And then, of course, we will look at Jesus, the son who was born of a virgin to go to the cross and be resurrected for the forgiveness of sins 
the ultimate way that God gets back to his design to be present with us. We'll look at all those things. We'll look at all those things in depth. But the main thing we're trying to gain over the next four weeks today and in the coming weeks is we're trying to gain something that is so hard to get in this season, in this Christmas season, and that's perspective. Everything is always calling for our attention. Everything is always calling for our attention. But in this season especially, there are so many things that already have our attention. There's a lot of things in the Christmas season that have had your attention since July. Prepping the house, buying the gifts, running from this party to that party, all the things you have to do with and for your kids and your family, and so, so much more. We know what the season holds. We know the busyness. We know the hustle. We are expecting it, and we have been in it. But oftentimes, we go on autopilot until January because we're just going through another season of Christmas. It's exactly like it's been in the past. But the beauty of this series... The beauty of perspective is it slows down the season around us. And I don't mean it slows down December because I think there's probably a lot of us that want this season to go by very quickly. But I mean it slows down our perspective of the world, not just Christmas, but our entire lives. It slows down so we realize we have a God who wants to be present with us. So what does that mean? If that is true, if God wants to be present with you and with me and in relationship with you and with me and in community with you and with me. What does that change for you and me today? What does that call us to? So today we're talking about what God's creation points us to, and we'll get to that here in just a minute. But I want to invite you uh, out in the lobby. When you leave today, if you look out in the lobby and look to the left, you'll find a Christmas tree, and there will be these frames hanging on there. Here in just a few weeks, we're talking about God's mission of the church and how the church helps go forward in the mission and vision of gaining people back in community with God. God wants to be present and he uses the church for that. So what we're asking, because we think it'll be very cool, is if you will go and grab one of these, one per family, and go home and you and your kids can decorate this. Uh, it's a great exercise for you to do together. Choose the picture out, draw it up. I had a big plan to get a pretty one and then my dog chewed it up. So be careful who in your family you give it to. Uh, but you can bring this back whenever you are able to. Uh, there's a good chance, uh, because a lot of you want to be involved in this, uh, there's a good chance we'll run out today. And so if you go out and you don't see any on the tree or at the welcome desk, uh, on Tuesday we'll have more in. So next week you could pick it up and bring it back the week after that. Uh, but we want to invite you to be a part of this because something special, especially that we saw last night, is when everybody in this room and in our church stops calling it that church I go to or your church or their church. There's something powerful when we say my church. There's something that shifts when we refer to this as as our church, as my church. And this is a cool way to bring your family and a photo of your family uh, and go on our family Christmas tree as a church. It's a cool way to take ownership. So I want to encourage you and your family to be a part of that sometime over the next few weeks. But again, this morning, we're looking at how God reveals himself to us through his creation. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Psalms 148. We're going to spend most of our morning here in this passage as we look at God's presence in the world around us and in his creation. I found a lot of this explanation from John Collins and Tim Mackey. They created what's called the Bible Project. Uh, I would encourage you, if you're ever looking at studying the Bible more in depth and you're trying to figure out a good way for you, and maybe if you're like me, it's not always easy to just go read the text and study it, uh, the Bible Project is a great resource. You can find them on bibleproject.com. They explain this passage well, so I got a few ideas from them. So I want to make sure I give them credit where it's due. 
So if you break down Psalms 148, like many different parts of Scripture, when we break it down, we see that it's written in a very specific and particular way. It's written in a way that maybe isn't how we read it at first sight. This passage, Psalm 148, is found in the middle of the five final chapters of the Psalms. The Psalms are poems that tell the story of Israel, written heavily by King David, the psalmist, as he's often referred to as. And we've been studying David for the past several weeks here at Wellspring, and so it's, it's cool we get to come back to him today. The Psalms show the rise and fall of King David and the truth about how Jesus will eventually come down the line of David to restore Israel to what it was. But in the Psalms, we see how Israel suffered at the hands of nations around it and how Israel is left without a king. When this is written, it's at a time of loneliness and when the future for Israel doesn't look very bright. The final five Psalms, as we see in the passage 148, they're all Psalms of praise. So if you've read them before, or if you haven't, we might read them and we immediately associate that with our worship. So these are passages that you would read if you were trying to worship God, or you were reading about the psalmist and you were seeing examples in that text of David praising God. But it's not so much an example of David praising God, instead it was written with different purpose. So read with me in verse 1 of Psalms 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. At first glance, this looks like words we would say congregationally as we were worshiping together. It maybe looks like something you would read out loud on your own to worship. That isn't a bad thing, but the reality is that the psalmist is writing with a different purpose in mind than just his own worship. If you look at that first phrase, praise the Lord, it means praise Yah. Praise Yah. And Yah there is short for Yahweh. So it's saying praise Yahweh. Praise then translates to hallelujah. And it becomes hallelujah, which I'm sure some of us have heard that. Have we heard hallelujah before? Most of us. Which then translates to praise the Lord. In Hebrew, hallelujah is not something you say to God as much as it is something you say to others when you are inviting them to praise God. So in Psalm 148, we aren't seeing an example of worship as much as we're seeing the psalmist inviting certain groups to worship God. Hallelujah in this context means you need to praise God from somebody to somebody else. It's an invitation. You need to praise God. And it's not you should praise God. It's you need to praise God, and that'll be important later. So praise the Lord is an invitation and a call to worship Yahweh an invitation to praise. Keep reading in verses two through four. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the sky. The psalmist then writes in verse seven, praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths. Throughout the Psalms, throughout Psalm 148 specifically, you see two very clear and specific yet very different groups that are being invited to praise God. The psalmist is inviting two specific groups to praise God in what we just read. The skies, we read that in the heavens, and the land, we read that with from the earth and you great sea creatures and the ocean depths. So there's the skies and then there's the land. What does that really mean? If you go back to Genesis 1-1, the very beginning, when God created his original design, in the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. So what the psalmist is writing here is he is inviting everybody from land and on earth, everybody from the land and everybody from the heavens to worship God. It is not a call for individuals, but instead for all creation. God created the heavens and the earth, everything. So the psalmist in this moment is saying, heavens and the earth, everything, creation, you need to praise God. So all of creation then is called to a posture of worship. But more than that, it's not just saying you should. It's, the psalmist is saying all creation, heavens and the earth, you need to worship. Which gives this implication that's important for us today and always, that we were created to worship. We were all created to worship. Because we see in Scripture a lot of different people doing a lot of different things. Throughout the Bible, you see people who were obedient to God, who were following God, building things for God, leading people for God, and so many different things. But what were all these people and stories really doing? And what were they all really about? I believe that all of them were different examples of people worshiping God. You see, we have a God who is present in all creation. He has a hand in all the things we see, feel, love, and touch. His very creation has the perspective we're looking for. This perspective that slows down our season and destroys our expectations to reveal something new. Creation sees that, even when we don't. You see, creation is the very presence of God. And with creation, God did his part. He created the heavens and the earth and everything in between. He did his part to present to us himself through the world and this universe that we live in. Yet even though that's true, even though all of us are walking and living in his creation, there are many of us that feel more distant from God now than any other time, than ever before. Even though all people are walking and living in his creation, so many in this world are living outside of the presence of of God. How can that be true? I would wonder that for a long time, to be honest with you. It was a difficult question for me. How can somebody see everything and not understand that there's a creator? How can you see the stars in the world? And I think a lot of us have seen the beauty in the world and maybe have asked that question before. But the reality is God has done his part, but have we done ours? Are we doing ours? God has made every effort in creation to be present with us. We see it in the world but have we responded in the way we're called to? Keep reading with me in verses 8 through 10. Lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds. Here's an interesting question. How does a fruit tree worship? How does a tree worship at all? That tree was created to live and bear fruit. And when it does that, it walks in line with why it was created. And by walking in line with why it was created, it is worshiping and praising our God. It worships by living out its purpose. That's a hint for you and I. Based off of this, in order to accept the call to praise God, in order to be present with God through his creation, we have to walk in our purpose. We have to live out why we were created. And why were we created? To worship. We were created to worship. So when we're walking in line with why we were created, when we are worshiping in all we do, we are following and praising God and his design. Keep reading at 11 through 12. 
kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and women, old men and children. What we see here is incredibly important because it's not a call for some people with some gifts in some places to worship God. It's a call for all of us to worship God. The young, the old, men, women, kings, servants, rich, poor, sad, happy. We are all called to worship God. All of us are called to praise in our lives. And let me be really clear about something. A lot of us here, you're called to worship God. You're called to praise. And you think I'm asking you to sing. I'm actually asking very, I'm begging some of you not to. But it's not about singing or music. That's not the area that every single person was called to praise in. That's how some people choose to walk in obedience and praise God. But you are praising God from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed and everything in between. Whether it is singing or or praying or following or just being obedient. That is our purpose. Our worship and praise is on the other side of our obedience. When we're walking as we were created to walk, that's when we see a life of worship on the other side. That's when we see a presence with God that we haven't experienced before because we're doing what he called us to do. The reason you see a world that is so alive and so clearly has a creator at the root of it is because you see creation doing as it was created to do. You see the processes, you see the trees, you see the creatures doing what they were called to do. And that's why I believe when we're at church on a Sunday morning and we're singing praises together, that's a glimpse of eternity and heaven because we're walking in what we're supposed to do. But it's not just a Sunday morning when you sing, it's everything you do in your life. Israel, when this passage was written, as we read earlier, it had fallen to other nations and leaders there were plenty of reasons for the people of Israel not to worship. They had lost their king. They had hope in a future, but they didn't know when. They're discouraged. They're broken. And I think there's a lot of people today, especially in December as we get near this holiday season, who are not feeling like they're experiencing faithfulness and goodness. But many of us, many of you are feeling the weight of the season, the opposite of joy. We're struggling. We're hurting. We're wandering. That's a reality of this season. But that's what's so special about our invitation to worship that we find in Psalm 148. We're not being called to worship God because how our lives look in the moment, but because of what God has done in the bigger picture that we don't always see. Keep reading with me in verses 13 and 14. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. And he has raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his faithful servants of Israel, the people close to his heart. He raised up for his people a horn. I want to single out that line for a moment. I'm a musician. I grew up playing instruments. And so what I always thought was that that was like an instrument. Like when they were walking around Jericho and they were told to play their horns so the walls would come down, I thought that's what the horn was. And as I studied, I realized I couldn't be more wrong, which is pretty common. And I got to this point where I learned Whenever there was a victory, specifically over like an animal, like a bull, they would take the horns and they would raise it up. And so when you see the horns raised, it was a signal of victory. The, the horn of a slain animal was a symbol of honor, of strength. It was a symbol of deliverance and power. But more than anything, it was a symbol of victory. So in this passage, when they're saying... 
he has raised up for his people a horn. This is thousands of years before Jesus. And he doesn't say, we're going to raise up a horn in victory someday, people of Israel. It's okay right now. One day we'll get there. He's saying it's already done. We already have victory. That same message is true for you and I. It isn't a, at the end of this life, if we keep doing what we're supposed to be doing, we can have confidence that eventually Jesus will do what he did and we can find victory and the end of this struggling road and hardship. That's not what this says. That's not what our lives should say. We're not worshiping because it's easy to worship now. We're worshiping because we have victory that is far extended our right now. We have victory in Jesus already. You don't worship God, because I did something good today. Or because maybe you and a spouse stopped fighting and have been doing really good. And so you're going to praise for that reason. Maybe you got a promotion at work that you deserved or didn't deserve, but you got it and it's great. And you're praising God for that. Those are great moments to praise, but we aren't called to praise just when things are good. I had a, I was at chapel at, in college and I went to a Bible college in Cincinnati and there was a speaker, speaker who came, and he was from Procter & Gamble, and he was very high up in that company. And he said right before he took the position that he had there, he had a decision to make. He said, I, I had to decide, was I going to go be uh, this like management-level position at Procter & Gamble in Cincinnati, or was I going to go start a church in Texas and be a part of that team? And he's at a Bible college, so we're all sitting there like, well, you should have gone to Texas, Right? And he prayed about it and he prayed about it and he went to one of his mentors and his mentor said, is God in Texas? And he said, yeah. And he said, okay, is God in Cincinnati? And the room kind of hesitated, but we landed on yeah, he's there. And I think a lot of us are planning out our lives. We're planning everything we do. We're saying, I just want to walk in step with what God has for me. I want to make sure I'm always in the right place at the right time. And if I'm outside of where, exactly where I think God wants me, I'm wrong. The worship does not follow the position. Everything follows the worship. You are praising God who is and was and always will be no matter where you are. No matter what position you find yourself in. No matter if you're going through an easy season or a hard season. And I want to be very careful here. I don't want to minimize the hurt you're feeling in this season. Because a lot of the trauma and the hurt and the pain of the past becomes very, very real during this season. I don't want to minimize that like it doesn't matter. Instead, I want to challenge you. What does it look like if our perspective is not on what is happening right now alone? Not just on our struggle, not just on our hurt, not just on our immediate joy, but instead our worship and our joy, our strength is found not in anything that's happening to us today, but in the victory Jesus has overall. The victory of a Savior, the promise of a Savior. And it's not a promise of a Savior to come, it's a promise of a Savior who is. Because, friends, death has been defeated. There is nothing that can separate you and I from the love of God. There is nothing that can come up in this season that will separate you and I from the victory that he has. The only thing that will keep you from being in the presence of the victor is your own selfishness and our own pain and our own denial of what is already there. We put our own perspective above the truth, which is we have victory in Christ. I do that all the time. I have a bad day. I have something hard happen. I have a fight with somebody I love. And I say, God, what are you doing? And he's like, I already did. <laughs> he's like, what have I already done? You have victory. Don't lose perspective. 
Hurts are real. Hardship is real. We're going to worship through that. We worship not because of our circumstances, but because of who our God is and what our God has done through Jesus Christ. That is why we worship. And all creation, all of scripture, it all points back to the God who made a way for us. It all leads directly to Jesus. And I'm so excited as we go through the series to get there. But I want to challenge you as you look at creation and your lives and the people around you and you see hurt and brokenness in a world that is truly desperate for a savior. Are you going to be somebody? Are we going to be a church and a group of people who look at Jesus as somebody who could be great for you or somebody who has already paid the price, somebody who already has victory and we walk in celebration of that? If you need to make a decision to follow Jesus and you've not done that, you've never said, I want to let Jesus' victory represent me. If you've been living every single day with the exhaustion of, I'm going to try and figure this out on my own. I'm going to set my perspective and my heart based off what is going on in my life. If that's you and you say, I don't want to be defined by my daily victory, but the victory of Christ eternal. If that's a decision you need to make, I'll be on the lobby. I would love to talk with you or somebody else would love to have a conversation with you about what that decision looks like. But for all of us, hallelujah, our call to praise, our invitation to do exactly what we were created. And on the other side of that obedience, on the other side of that worship, you're going to find a presence with God you probably haven't had before. And that is a reason to celebrate this year. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the chance to worship. God, I am thankful for Wellspring and the way that you are working in this place and in this community, and God, I pray not just for our church, but for this world, a world that has experienced great brokenness and struggle and worry and pain and doubt. But God, we have victory in you. And in every way, in every part of your creation, from the lands to the heavens to us, you have pointed to a way back to your design. You have made a way through your son, Jesus, and we celebrate him today. We thank you for the victory we find, not in ourselves, not in our circumstances, but in him. And God, like all creation, would you help us point to the way that Jesus has made, the way back to the Father. We love you. Amen.